are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start this one saying that the entire audience is everybody. And today we are speaking with our special guest, Dr. Kevin Fuji, on what his role is in terms of informatics and education. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, Kevin, I worked with you at ASHP uh, for, you know, the section advisor group. So it's been great to get to know you through there. Uh, how have you been doing today? I've been doing pretty good. I appreciate you having me on, Tony. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, just before we get into some of the more like nitty gritty details, can you kind of just g- give a general overview about yourself to the listeners? Sure. Um, so I graduated from Creighton University's uh, School of Pharmacy and Health Professions back in 2007. And when I graduated, I did a two-year research fellowship that was focused in patient safety and then joined the faculty right after that. And so my position has been, I guess, a little bit unique in that I have um, always been a little bit more research-based. And kind of early on in my career, I had the opportunity to work on a uh, federally funded project about electronic health record adoption. And and there are aspects of that that I really enjoyed and, and kind of figured out that I really like thinking about and learning about the technology aspects of healthcare, which is kind of how I, I got into that as kind of my research focus. Uh, and so I teach a health informatics elective and kind of just do other things related to informatics, like advocate for it through mechanisms like ASHP's work groups. Awesome, awesome. So you, you didn't mention about like how you fell in love with the uh, EHR aspect. And I guess like what was it about it that uh, made you decide that, you know, this is something that you wanted to focus on? Yeah, so it, it's I think it's a little bit interesting in that the, the overall project was about EHR adoption and it was about EHR adoption in um, so Creighton's in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And so we're looking at uh, the state of Nebraska and then we're looking at the state of South Dakota. And this was a 2006-ish uh, range because the project actually preceded me and I, and I joined um, when I was doing my fellowship. And I liked the EHR aspect, but the part that I really enjoyed was actually personal health records. So I, I really liked this idea that people could use technology to help them keep track of their health information and then to learn more about like what was going on with their health and then actually be able to kind of take steps to be more involved in their own healthcare, whether that was being able to have more conversations with their doctor or their pharmacist or being able to, you know, start exercising and tracking that over time. And we're still kind of early at that time in in terms of people doing a lot of like wearables and other kinds of activity trackers. Um, but all of that kind of appealed to me thinking about, well, how could individuals use technology to better their own health? And so I like the EHR part from the from the healthcare provider standpoint, but I particularly like the personal health record piece from the what can a patient do standpoint. Oh, yeah, that's that's a really good point, too. I, for me, like I am in the, you know, the inpatient side, as, as you probably know, but there's a, a big part of me that is really interested in learning about all that consumer focused, patient focused uh, technologies too, like the digital health side, right? So for you, what kind of the digital health aspects were you involved in, you know, in terms of like research and, and papers? Yeah, so a lot of it was that um, personal health. And, and now I think people have, people's conception of it has kind of shifted a little bit to more patient portals. So, you know, you go to your doctor and, and you can log on and see like your past lab results and your past health summaries. But what I liked about the personal health record and as the way it was kind of conceptualized at the time 
was that it was patient controlled and patient owned. And so, you know, it could connect with a provider's EHR, um, but the patient also had control in uh, to be able to put in information that they felt was relevant about their own health. Some of my early work was just looking at you know, how aware were providers of the different ways that patients were keeping track of their health information or how aware were providers about uh, the, the degree to which patients were using tools like personal health records. And then, it, and then it kind of stemmed into what do patients actually want in these kinds of tools? So a lot of times I think they're designed by healthcare providers, you know, and, or, or vendors. And I think uh, just speaking from the healthcare provider side, we make a lot of assumptions about what we think patients should want or what we think patients might, um, but what, what they want and need, or what we think they want and need and what they actually want and need is sometimes very different. And I think if we want to use these kinds of digital health tools, to really engage patients, get them to use it, get them to use it longitudinally, and then get them to use it in ways that are actually going to improve their health in different ways, then we have to be a little bit more patient-centered. And so, um, like I said, my research has evolved over time to, well, what's out there? What do providers know about what patients are doing? To what what do patients actually want? And then if we gave them a tool, and we taught them how to use it, would actually use it, and would that actually improve some of their clinical outcomes? Yeah, so I, I know that you mentioned the PHRs, and um, do you kind of see that, uh, I guess in your opinion, do you kind of see that coming back anytime soon? Because I, I kind of like look at the Apple like Health kind of a PHR because it can connect to certain uh, EHRs. So is, is that what you're kind of looking at? Yeah, um, that that is what I'm looking at. Something that's a little bit, like I said, more patient controlled or patient owned. But honestly, I, I just personal opinion, right? I I don't think that that's going to come back. I think we've moved so far down the road in terms of patient portals um, and patient portals being a part of, I guess, what was then meaningful use, and you know, it's kind of evolved over time. Uh, but because that was such a big requirement, I think uh, there's been less focus now on well, how how can patients kind of feel ownership over that and more let's just provide patients with the information that's in their EHR. Yeah. You know, it's always interesting to me too, that there was that big push for patient portal because like, I, I'm also thinking about like, uh, for me as a patient, I go to different doctors, you know, some for specialty issues, some for general care. And it's hard because now I have multiple patient portals to log into. So I can't, you know, I can't imagine if, if I'm having trouble with it and I'm a healthcare person, how other people who are not in healthcare would have issues managing that too. Right. I, you know, I, it's funny you say that because I definitely feel that same way. Sometimes I'm managing, you know, there's at least two patient portals that I manage for myself. Uh, and, and I just think, man, I feel like I'm having trouble sometimes and I feel like I'm very tech literate. And, and so I think the exact same thing for the for the uh, individuals who aren't as tech literate, what are we doing? And are we actually, you know, we've talked, we like the collective, we has talked a lot about the digital divide. And are we disadvantaging patients that, you know, don't have access to steady internet and wouldn't be able to use these kinds of tools. Uh, and it, And this kind of stuff does make you wonder more about uh, you know, how much we're, I guess, increasing that disparity or not? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, You did talk about this, right, at a presentation about health literacy and digital divide? Yeah, so um, one of the one of our personal health record or PHR projects that I was doing, it, I do a lot of work on an, uh, with an interprofessional care team, a research team. And so it was actually a nurse colleague of mine who was really interested in the health literacy aspect um, of, of diabetes, which was the population that we were working with a lot to kind of look at 
if we're trying to give patients all of these different kinds of tools, what kind of impact uh, does health literacy, does their numeracy, other aspects have on either uh, enhancing the digital divide or, you know, or can these tools actually help decrease it? What what she found was kind of, I think kind of what you would expect that um, there are pretty big there's a pretty big association between health literacy and the digital divide and uh, that if you're of lower health literacy then you're less likely to be able to you know utilize a lot of these tools effectively and so if I, I think if we want people to be able to use these and to use these tools in, in simple ways, there needs to be either some kind of additional training or there needs to be better design or we need to find ways to give people access to these tools, whether that's through, you know, offering them at different kinds of even, I think, community centers, public libraries, some, something that if people don't normally have access to the internet, they can get it in an easier way. So like when you were looking into that, did you did you find that there was like a big divide in areas that are rural and just didn't have a good internet framework? Yeah, so we didn't look at that specifically. Uh, the patient population that we were working with was more urban in nature for this project. Um, and so we weren't able to, to kind of get a sense of that um, in this work. Okay, okay. And, and you know, like you were talking to you about like how you have a heavy patient safety focus. And one of the things that I do get from students uh, is that they, they do ask me about like getting into pharmacy informatics. And I, I just tell them that patient safety is a big aspect of it. And um, that doesn't really click with them until I start explaining how it ties in. Can you kind of provide a uh, kind of your thoughts on that since you've been heavily focused in patient safety? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think there's a really natural, as, as you know, a really natural bridge between informatics and safety or, or even just technology and safety. And so the way, I guess the way that I've all explained it to people is to use, especially for pharmacy students, is to use more of a prescribing example uh, and thinking about electronic prescribing versus with handwritten prescriptions. We know that there's a lot of problems with actually trying to decipher a physician's handwriting, right? There's the really common patient safety activities where you show somebody some terrible piece of handwriting and you ask them to guess what the prescription is and you think it's one medication and turns out to be something completely different. So we know that legibility is a pretty big problem when it um, comes to patient safety and, and prescribing. And we've introduced now electronic prescribing. And so it, it's great because it has eliminated handwriting. And so we no longer have to worry about legibility errors. So, so that's, that's terrific. But at the same time, a lot of these programs, electronic prescribing programs, are set up in ways where they use drop-down menus. And I think people are pretty familiar with drop-down menus in general and have at some point probably accidentally clicked on maybe an option above the one they meant to select or want something below the one they meant to select. And so now we're creating the potential to send an incorrect medication, to send an incorrect dose, to send an incorrect quantity. Uh, and so we've solved some problems. So now we don't have any legibility problems, but now we've introduced these other problems where somebody's selecting a wrong drug when they would probably never do that, even though they're, when they're handwriting it out. Now, that's a really good example. That's actually the same example I use all the time for EIHR Genesis when yeah. I talk to my students. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was going to also ask you about like, uh, how about alerts? Like, wh what about, you know, unfiltered alerts? Is that kind of like falling into the same thought process as well? Yeah, I think I think definitely. Right. Like on, on the one hand, no one can know everything. Um, I was actually just reading through an article that came out um, about uh, drug drug interactions and 
we, yeah, we can't, we can't know everything. And so things like clinical decision support really help us uh, to catch potential medication errors or, or drug-drug interactions, drug-food interactions, drug-allergy interactions. Uh, but at the same time, I think anyone who's worked in any pharmacy, whether it's community or hospital, or, can appreciate the fact that those pop up so often, right? And it's so easy to just click through and completely ignore what it's actually saying. And Honestly, probably 90-something percent of the time, uh, the those alerts are probably firing and they're probably firing for pretty minor things that you've seen a lot over time and that you can already use your clinical judgment to say, no, that's not going to be a big deal or no, this patient's had this medication you know, for two years. It's not going to be an issue for them. But it's that one time, that one time out of you know, 100 or that one time out of 1,000, but that one time out of 100 or 1,000 could actually lead you to miss something that that ends up harming or even even killing the patient in a you know worst case scenario. So switching gears to your current role now, you are primarily an associate professor for the School of Pharmacy, and um, I, I guess like for your elective for the health informatics or pharmacy informatics, what is it that you kind of like try to make sure that students understand, like key takeaways, or what is it that you want the students to uh, leave your course uh, knowing? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and and it's something that I actually think about on a on a yearly basis, like every time that I'm looking to refresh my content or every time that I'm looking to update my course and thinking what what do I absolutely want them to know? Because technology changes so quickly, but there's probably foundational things that are important for, for every student to know. And so one of the things that I always try to emphasize to them, and it's probably less of a, it, it's not as difficult to get buy-in from these students because to some degree they're already interested in it. That's why they're taking the elective course. Uh, but just that they are absolutely going to be interacting with a variety of technology, regardless of what practice setting they're in. So it doesn't matter if they're going to be a community pharmacist. It doesn't matter if they're going to be in an ambulatory care setting, an acute care setting. They're going to be using some kind of technology. And it's, so it's going to be important for them to at least be able to understand terminology, to be able to speak the language, um, to be able to get a sense of how is the technology used by the by providers broadly, and then specifically, how does that apply to pharmacy? Because I think a lot of technologies, even if they're not used directly by pharmacists, have some impact on the work that we do. And so, just better understanding kind of that what that range is is really important. And then I'd say the second takeaway is that uh, kind of what we talked about with the e-prescribing example. There are a lot of benefits to technology, but there are also drawbacks. And so, it's just I, I try to emphasize that there is that there is kind of a spectrum. And so it's important that they understand what that spectrum is and not kind of make assumptions that, oh, well, this piece of technology is here. So, you know, I need to worry about checking less because it serves as a double check for me. Um, but also uh, it, just kind of finding finding that balance and understanding what the strengths and limitations of each technology are. So it's a, it should be complementary to their clinical knowledge, not replacing it. Yeah, I, I always mention that too. That, like, I mean, I agree with that because it's like clinical decision support. It's not like replacement, you know, so I always like mention, hey, just remember the term is support, not replacement. It is, it is kind of, it is kind of scary though, because, you know, we, I think we read the stories, we read articles, we see, th see things in the news come out where people totally make that kind of assumption. Um, and then it ends up leading to some kind of patient harm just because they assume that 
you know, clinical decision support would catch it or somebody else would catch it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's so many times, like, in my previous roles where it's, you know, something happens, uh, reaches the patient, and they're like, the system, let me do it. And it's like, well, you're also supposed to make it make a clinical judgment, you know, so it's, it's kind of difficult, because then you got like problems like alert fatigue, too, which is you're kind of setting them up that way if you don't filter things correctly. Um, so, so it is kind of hard with that balance. Absolutely. Um, so, so I also wanted to talk about your uh, upcoming role, or actually, I guess your current role right now uh, at ASHP uh, for under the section of uh, pharmacy informatics and technology. Can you kind of go over what your role is and uh, what you're planning to, I guess, uh, lead this year? Yeah. So I am serving as the chair for our um, professional development uh, section advisory group. And as you know, from having served on it last year um, with me, um, the professional development work group is really focused on, as as it, the name implies, professional development in informatics across a number of different areas. So it, it can cover areas related to student training, um, to postgraduate training, to training for um, active practitioners, and it's providing that education across a number of different avenues. So uh, that could be annual meeting or mid, sorry, not annual meeting, mid-year planning. Um, it could be uh, the the summer meeting planning. It could be kind of ad hoc webinars are some of the things that we've done in the past. You and I have worked on a preceptor toolkit together last year that's going to uh, finally get updated uh, and, and available to ASHP members. And so my, I think broadly, my goals are just to continue doing, uh, to continue the good momentum that, that we've built over the last few years. I think we've had a good group the last couple of years. It looks like another good group again. Uh, and really just to, to keep people engaged and thinking about Again, kind of that broad spectrum of what are what are professional development needs? Because I think if we can if we can start early and we can integrate really education from the time that uh, from the time that people are in pharmacy school and then continue that all the way through when they're active practitioners, that's only going to help the profession and then it's only going to help kind of our our specialty area of of pharmacy informatics. So it's it's kind of a canned answer. Honestly, um, but I I just feel like it it goes so well every year because the group has such a diverse representation. I almost feel weird, honestly, leading it as somebody that's in academia because we have so many talented practitioners that are on the group. Um, but at the same time, I think I I appreciate the fact that it's it's so diverse. So everyone's going to bring a slightly different perspective, uh, and I think that's just realistic of of what's out there in practice. Actually, I, I thought it was really cool that um, that you're going to be leading it because having you come from the academia, from the research side, is it is different. It's going to bring in a different perspective of you know what we've had before, and again, it's it's like a team effort, right? And just having different perspectives and uh, still having a team effort with the same goal is going to be um, something I'm looking forward to doing working with you on this year. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Um, I think we have a really nice blend of of people who are um, practitioners, who are newer practitioners. There are a couple of other people like me on the uh, on the work group that are in academia. Um, one of my students actually from Creighton is a is a student member of the group this year. So I think it'll just be nice because we're we're going to get all of those different perspectives. And and like I said, we 
everybody is so invested in just trying to do good things for the profession uh, that it's it's exciting to be a part of this and I'm really excited to lead it. So if like students that are currently interested in, you know, uh, learning more about your career or maybe your research projects or uh, even just learning about uh, the group that you'll be leading the professional development group, uh, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Probably um, through email. I, I think for better or worse, I am just literally always attached to my email. Uh, and, and so it, it's just kfuji, K-F-U-J-I at, at creighton.edu. Um, I'm happy to answer really anyone's questions. I'm, I'm always happy if, you know, students have questions uh, about like my career path or how I got to, to this point, because it, it is a little bit different. It's not even what it's not even what I thought I was going to be doing with my pharmacy degree, um, but it's something that's turned out to be really rewarding and fulfilling. So um, I am I'm more than happy. Uh, I'm really open to anyone uh, reaching out with any questions they might have. So feel free to email me if I can help you or, or answer a question in any way. Awesome. So, you know, just before we go, I, I do want to ask you one more thing. Uh, there's a common question that students have asked me and then, you know, also other pharmacists who are currently practicing about how would they get into pharmacy informatics? And I know you had a unique path, but do you have any advice to offer? I, I think about my, like, I think about my own path and I think it was just being open to the different opportunities that were available. I, I said yes to participating in a lot of projects um, or uh, learning about a lot of different areas that I don't know if I necessarily even understood all of the different ways that they connected together, or even if I couldn't necessarily see a clear path for how this was going to get me to where I wanted. Um, but they all ended up contributing in different ways. Um, I think I'd also say that even even within specialty areas, so we think about pharmacy informatics, there's there's lots of different ways to be a part of that process. And so, again, I know, you know, we've mentioned the fact that I've had a unique career path a, a handful of times now, uh, but but I'm not I'm not an active practitioner, right, despite having PharmD training. Uh, and and so whether that's research, whether that's academia, whether that's actual practice, whether that's maybe even using your clinical skills and, and working for a working for a vendor, I think just being open to the possibilities and then actually going out and learning more. Um, is is the best way to do that because it starts building it starts building that network. So before you started the recording, um, you and I were talking about like the benefits that we've gotten from you uh, from being on this ASHP work group together. You've talked to me about the benefits that you've had just meeting people through doing your podcast. And I think it's the same way. You know, the more exposure that we get, the more we build that network, the more we learn about the different avenues that we could go down. And then hopefully you find one that you're really passionate about and that you can put more time into. Yeah, awesome. You know, just thank you for uh, sharing that advice. And again, thank you so much for, you know, taking some time to be on the podcast. And I'll put your uh, email into our show notes for anyone who's uh, reaching out. Yeah, to be respectful of your time, just thank you again for taking some time to be on the podcast today. No, thanks again for having me. I always uh, appreciate doing anything like this. And like I said, if my if hearing my story can help somebody else figure out what they want to do or, or learn something new that um, they hadn't been thinking about before, I'm always happy to do that. Oh, 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 
All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P H A R M A C I S T S C O N N E C T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal. Oh, 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 oh,